1: Hello and welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex, Associate Editor and Film Writer at Deadline.com. On today's episode, we're talking to Latasha Gillespie, Head of Global Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility for Amazon, MGM Studios, Prime Video, and Freebie. In her role, Latasha is responsible for the development and management of all content related and customer facing DEIA work. For the organization. Under her leadership, Amazon MGM Studios created the entertainment industry's first inclusion policy and playbook and standardized DEIA into its green light process. Latasha also created the Howard Entertainment Program, the first of its kind partnership between a major studio and an HBCU. Gillespie was featured on Variety's 2021 Women's Impact Report and 2022 Inclusion Impact Report and was honored as a 2022 Multi Channel News Wonder Woman and received the Black Women Film Network 2023 Beacon Award. In 2021, the Greater Los Angeles African American Chamber of Commerce named Latasha Executive of the Year, and that same year, she graced the cover of Inclusion Magazine for her leadership in implementing organizational, inclusive, and equitable practices. Black Enterprise named her one of 2019's most powerful women in corporate diversity, and she is a 2018 Ebony Power 100 honoree. With all the DEI initiatives being erased in Hollywood, Latasha has her finger on the pulse of what makes DEIA initiatives work. So in our conversation, I chat with her about the vanishing DEI initiatives, creating an inclusive work environment, and we talk about how to implement lasting change in the film and television industry. With that said, let's get into it. If you like what you hear on this episode, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Latasha Gillespie, for coming on the Scene to Scene podcast. You do so much work. <laughs> you, <laughs> you do so much. We could spend like two hours just having a conversation about the different things you're tapped into. Um, wow. I don't even know where to start. So oh, if, yeah. you, if you can give people sort of a, a small overview of, of what you you know, do at Amazon as a head of, you know, DIA. And
0: yeah, just what that entails. Well, listen, first of all, thank you for even the invitation to be on here. And also just the recognition of the work. I, I don't, I'll tell you one thing, I don't do this work alone. I have an amazing team that around the globe that are helping me carry this burden carry this work forward and they are amazing humans that i get to do this with so we but we all we are small and but mighty so all but mighty uh, (laughs) you know all in the name of trying to scratch out a small corner of the world and make it better for a few other people right So, so my team has global remit for really the global diversity equity inclusion and accessibility work for content and, and customers for Amazon MGM Studios. So we work really hard to make sure that we're telling the most entertaining, inclusive story as possible that allows you to see your lived experience or someone else's lived experience authentically portrayed on the on the screen. Uh, we work to make sure that those uh, stories have representation both in front of and behind the camera, above and below the line. And then we work within our own systems to make sure that we are constantly evaluating our own mechanisms uh, and auditing them to make sure that we are always looking for opportunities to do the work that we do with equity.
1: I, you know, I want to get right into it because okay. I really like we have seen some stuff since Sundance go down, mainly a lot of the DEI initiatives going kaput, going yeah. goodbye. Yeah. Can you talk about? Can you talk a little bit about wh- your ideas about where that may stem from, or what's going on here? A lot of people are 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 scared. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are thinking that those 2020 initiatives were were not done in good faith.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people have learned that a lot of the DEI folks didn't actually have power to make change.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Help us out.
0: Yeah, well, listen, I think there there are a number of reasons why we've seen, you know, my colleagues and, and other DEI professionals leave the business. Some for the very reasons you just named, I'm sure. And then, you know, there are also those who, you know, also have left for positive reasons who have, who are taking the next step in their journey. And, mm-hmm. are, and sometimes that looks like taking them out of this space or taking them to a broader space, which, which is good for them. And then there's also just an element of burnout too, I think. Mm-hmm. In this, work. this work is hard.
1: That's important.
0: Yeah. This work is coming to, you know, you show up every day to defend your own humanity.
1: Oh man. Yeah
0: you know, yeah. and, and to defend the humanity of others. And and that's difficult, right? That's hard. It's just hard work. And so I can also understand the burnout element. And sometimes people need to take a step back and take a break. A lot of people don't know, but I actually took a three-month break, my little mini sabbatical, like the end of 2021, for, you know, similar reasons. I just needed, you know, for my own mental well-being and, and health needed to just take a step back and take a step away. You know, we were going through a global pandemic and you know, it was tough. You know, from that standpoint, and it was just a lot going on, and so you know, it gets hard. And you know, when after the murder of George Floyd and the rise that we saw immediately after with the anti-Asian violence, like folks who do the work that I do, we went into overdrive, mm-hmm. you know, um, to try to make sure that you know we were being responsible with the agency that we had responsible with the influence that we had to really examine our own organizations and say, how do we, how, how have we or our industries contributed to the things that allow people to dehumanize a man like George Floyd that allow people to dehumanize Asian people or people from AAPI uh, backgrounds to the point where they're willing to cause them harm. And in uh, in some cases, you know, all the way to death. And so how do we think about the images we put in the world? Mm that actually not just entertain people, but actually increase our humanity toward one another. Mm. Yeah. Cause that's how that, that hate and violence happens. When you, when you can dehumanize someone else.
1: And you know, when you talk about man, I I don't know why that just what you said just hit me hard because I, you know, there are different reasons as to why, you know, people wouldn't continue to engage in this, but The idea of constantly having to show up and defend, you know, showing up as your authentic self is. Yeah. I know what it means. I have done it. I have had Mm -hmm. to engage in it and I know how exhausting it can be. Yeah. So that just hit that just smacked me across the face. So I had to take a minute to process that. But you you are you know, you're here and you're doing the work can you talk about a little bit a little bit of specifics on what that entails when you and your team are are working to make sure that um the content um across the different platforms is as authentic and is as inclusive as possible like what does that look like logistically
0: yeah. Well, <clears throat> one thing I want to I want to just address something real quick that you said about that hit you, you know, to your core about showing up every day to defend your own humanity. I actually learned that phrase. I adopted that phrase from actually one of my mentees who I actually, you know, I consider her a mentor. She's a you know young woman under 30 who uh, constantly challenges me. And, and Tori Sapan, she she used that phrase. And the first time she said that to me, like you, it hit me in my core. And so I say that to say, when we talk about this work that we're doing, we often think about the gender inclusion. We often think about the race and ethnicity and LGBTQ inclusion, but we don't often think about the generational inclusion Mm -hmm. and how, you know, we, we are not sometimes stopping and paying attention and listening to the young people in our organizations or even inviting those folks to the table so that we can learn faster because this generation is not going to tolerate what previous generations tolerated. And so, right. yeah, it would we would be smarter if we included them in some of the, the decisions we make and how we approach the work that we do. And so, and that work logistically looks like our team getting involved from, you know, cradle to grave, essentially. You know, I'm really fortunate in that we have a strong relationship with our creative execs that they bring us in early. So sometimes that's at the pitch stage. Sometimes it's when a project is in development and, you know, start engaging us to, to look at a piece of material, to look at a piece of content and ask ourselves the questions, do we think this piece of content has the potential to acquire new audiences that maybe have been historically underserved? Does this piece of content have the opportunity to actually offend customers? Right. Because that's the last thing we want to do. Our job every day is to earn and keep customer trust. So is there anything in here that could actually make us lose trust with our customers? And if so, how do we tell a story that maybe, you know, we are invested in and believe in the creative, but like it needs some work to make sure that it doesn't do those things? Right. And so that sitting down with the creative sometimes and asking the question of tell us what your intent is. And then
1: let's talk about how we move from intent to impact. And how right. does that, right, that, that, that is really sort of from intent to impact is a really sort of powerful statement. And I was going to say, when you talk about impact, how does that trickle down from, okay, so we've had this meeting, we, we've we talked about some of the details and some of the things that we're looking for, and we've sat down with creators. Now it's time to go into production. Mm-hmm. And how does that trickle down to the, you know, to the production, to the hands-on stage
0: of content making? Yeah. So, you know, a great example of that is the show Shelter, Mm -hmm. which is based on a book by Harlan Corbin. Well, the creatives on the show, again, they were very inclusive in thinking about how they wanted to tell this this adaptation for, you know, for a television series and decided to cast the lead character as a biracial young man, which was not in the books, right? And so this is them being proactive, saying, We want to, we want to show more representation on screen. And there's nothing unique about this character that we couldn't do that, which is great when you have creatives that do that. Now the challenge was in the books, the young man's mother was w- was unable to care for him because, you know, of a substance abuse issue. Well. You know, well, well, now that we've made the young man biracial, which now means his mother is is a woman of color and, and probably one of the few women of color in the series, we can't have the only woman of color in the show, you know, get a drug addict. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so so it's like, man, you know, they had really I mean, they proactively had great intent. But now we have to figure out the nuance because that presents a different challenge. Mm -hmm. But luckily they were so wonderful to work with that, you know, my team was able to work with them and come up with a storyline that actually was around mental health. And so, which is something we all experience I think we all go through and brought, in my opinion, a richer storyline to it that, you know, even than what we saw in the books. And so I think a lot of people could relate to that and it didn't have to be a stereotypical, you know, one Brown woman on drugs.
1: Right. And how does that factor into. So now we have inclusiveness in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about inclusive hiring, um, what does that look like? How does that sort of because I'm thinking about all the different pillars um, yeah. that exist that you sort of tackle. Um And inclusive hiring is like a big one from from the director to the writer, because I I think one thing that we've all come to understand, especially in recent years, is that there a gaze does exist. If I, as a black woman am capturing another black woman, there is something different there.
0: That's the truth. It is. It is. And and a great example of that is the burial. So Maggie Betts, you know, a, a black woman director you know, directed that movie, but not only did she direct that movie, but as you, I don't know if you heard Jamie Foxx's acceptance speech for the Vanguard Award yeah, um, last week, right, at the Critics Choice, when he was talking about, you know, they had a mostly female uh, or, you know, department heads on set, right? And he mm-hmm. talked about like, and the set ran <laughs> a lot smoother than normal, mm-hmm. right? And so again, just that acknowledgement and recognition that you can have women in these powerful seats behind the camera as well, leading departments, directing the film, and get a high quality film and a production environment that feels safe, that feels inclusive, that allows you to do things you couldn't normally do. Like, you know, we've had production sets where. Uh, we've had the support of the of the showrunners and the directors to have streetlight PAs on there, right? So mm-hmm. these are young people getting an opportunity to to get that experience that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten, and so th- those are great examples of how you can you know be intentional with the hiring in front and behind the camera.
1: How do you go about delivering the transparency? Um, I, I've read some, some literature and seen some statistics and I'm like, this is very thorough. Um, I was really surprised to, to see some of the information that I had read and had, you know, and that was accessible to me. Um, so how do you go about maintaining that? Do you have people on your team that are researchers who sort of keep track of this? To, to track where things are, are are going well and where things are not things for improvement and things of that nature. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I have a data team. Dan Donacoff leads my data team and, and he and his team do amazing work to help to make sure we are accurately uh, tracking our data in front and behind the camera and reporting on it and looking at, you know, and doing the analysis on it to understand what leverage you pull to get the best results. Right. So, it's no. It should be no surprise to people that when you are in business with creators from historically marginalized communities, you tend to tell more inclusive stories that are far more representative across every element of identity than not, right? And so those things help. And so that data is important because one, you know, at the end of the day, we are we are a streamer, but we're also a tech company, so we love data. We, right. <laughs> we love understanding and using data to make smarter decisions, right? Because that's important. And so, yeah, our, our team does a really good job. And that transparency is intentional. You know, when we all went through the global pandemic in 2020 and we all went through the global uprising that came about as a result of George Floyd's murder and racial inequality we were seeing around the world... You know, we all made pledges to do better in some shape, form or fashion, whether that was setting aspirational goals, whether that was giving money to organizations that do hard work around social justice and equity and equality, whether that was changing our own internal systems. And so this transparency is a part of that. Like, yeah, it's three years later, but we want to make sure that we're still holding ourselves accountable. And part of that accountability is transparency. And so I, I don't want people to forget how we got here.
1: You, I mean, you really have a a, th- a sort of thorough program. But I'm wondering, when you first started, what what did things look like? Because it seems like it's really been built up. There's a strong foundation here of, of research, of transparency, of inclusion.
0: But where did you start? So, you know, and I'm listen. I am one of the really blessed and fortunate ones, because you know Jennifer Saki, when she was named head of Amazon Studios at the time, I was working up in corporate Amazon, and she, you know, called and said, "Hey, I, uh, I I need a DEI function here, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to come down and do it." So, so one, I saw even from a distance, I saw the way she moved. And some of the first decisions she made when she came into the studio, how she restructured her leadership team, who she was doing business with. So she already had my attention. So I was like, okay, this is someone who's serious. She's not she doesn't have to say the words, DEIA. She's walking it. Mm -hmm. Right. So she had my attention from the time she hit the door. And then when she called, I was like, absolutely, because I knew I was going to be coming to an organization where the leader was going to make space for the work where the leader was going to be a champion of the work. And so, you know, when I came down to LA and started the work in November, 2018, um, I had the great fortune of working with leaders all across the business to understand what they did, how they did it. And they were eager and willing to do better and wanted help to do better. So we started building there and saying, okay, Let's look at let's look at the inputs that we have control over and which of those inputs have the greatest impact on our outputs, have the greatest impact on what we actually make, how we make it and who's in the thing we make. And so those leaders signed on early on, right, early 2019, we, we started setting aspirational goals across the business. But in true Amazon fashion, we did it kind of quietly, like we don't go out and just you know, talk about it to the world. We just do the work and that's what we were doing and after the murder of george floyd and all the subsequent things that happened we decided to basically codify it and make it public and 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 make and that was again that was more about accountability and transparency it was less about right. making a stance because we hadn't been taking one it was more about okay we know we've been holding ourselves accountable to but now we feel like we owe it to you our customers uh, again, in that spirit of earning and keeping your trust, we want you to know what we've also said we're going to do. And we want you to be able to hold us accountable as well. And then and then also too, like it wasn't it was that was a huge part of it. But then it was also like a an opportunity to hold hands across the industry. Like we made we made that policy and playbook, you know, open source. We put it out on the website. We didn't require you to put in a name and password and all that other stuff and email to download it. We said, listen. We're putting it out here because if you don't have something, feel free to adopt what we put out there. And if and if it doesn't quite work for you as is, feel free to adapt it. Right. If you have a better way of doing it than what we suggest, adapt it, share it back. But let's all hold hands and do this together because it doesn't do any good if Amazon is doing well and excelling in inclusion but the rest of the industry isn't like we we all have to do this and and that's the one thing I love about my counterparts across the other studios like we don't see each other's competition like we have we all are singular minded in mission
1: Mm. you this is wow I don't think I you know I have not had a conversation about with someone who uh has a program quite like this and, and learning about how it works, um, at such a large company like Amazon kind of gives me some hope because listen, I'm going to be honest, people, people are losing hope by the day, especially once the, you know, once people was hearing about the DEI initiatives that were being dropped. Yeah. Um, It was it was a very sad time. Those two weeks was just nothing but people being fearful. And I I didn't blame them.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's good to see, you know, it's, it's good to hear these types of things because there are still organizations. There are still people. There are still studios who are committed to to change and committed to inclusion. And I think shifting the focus to that may offer some form of relief for lots of folks.
0: Yeah, Um, I hope so. I hope so. And, and, you know, and it's not just even the representation, right? It's the, it's the stories themselves, right? It's seeing our lived experiences portrayed in all of their nuance the richness, the joy we have, the love we have, the family, the, you know, nuclear family or chosen families that we all have, like seeing those stories are the things that I think are making the the most impact. But but again, that comes from when you empower storytellers. I think about American Fiction, which is out right now, which is such an amazing movie from Corey Jefferson. Uh, again, He's a first-time filmmaker, right? But this he, he is a perfect example of what happens when you put resources, structure, and support around someone who has not had the opportunity to, to do a thing before. And when you do that, you get a masterpiece with the brilliant Jeffrey Wright and Erica Alexander. But again, why? It's because we have executives like Alana Mayo who, who runs, you know, Orion Pictures. And so she sees that and she knows how to nurture that thing. And and, and and it's an, and it's a universal story. It's a family story. It's a, it's anybody going through career frustration story. You know, it's not a black movie. It, it stars a lot of black people, but it's a, it's a commercial movie.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that they're really, and it says something about identity and the, the, you know, the businesses that we occupy as a whole, because you know, people a lot of businesses ask a lot of people not to show up as their authentic selves. You know, so yeah, I was I, I moderated a panel last night with Core Jefferson and Erica Alexander. So about this. we talked about <laughs> we talked about this last night. Um, when people I guess I'll 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 ask this last question. When people think about Latasha Gillespie and the things that she's doing at Amazon, what would you want people to know? What is the, what is the impression you would want to leave them with? People who who are up-and-coming creators, people who are looking to branch into the industry, people who want to work in, in, in DEI,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, what would you say to them?
0: I think what people can look forward to is more universal stories, um, again, that are going to help you see yourself and your lived experience authentically portrayed on the screen. I think people are going to also be able to see because we're global service. And so we're looking, you know, there's marginalized communities everywhere in the world. So we also want you to get a glimpse into somebody else's world. To the point where you have a better understanding of who they are and how they love, and 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 you realize they go through similar situations as you go through. We want people to to be entertained, take into a different place in the world where they get to experience new things just by watching the shows or the content that we put out there. But also that it also increases their humanity towards someone that they don't know or have never met before. That it increases their curiosity about a different culture or people, but also helps see themselves in it. I remember watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and thinking, my family is very Christian, not Jewish, but man, there's so many similarities between, you know, just the parent dynamic and when you're fighting for your purpose and your passion and all the odds against you. And it's like, it's very, very universal. The more specific we get, the more universal it becomes. And, you know, what I want people to know that my team and I are doing is we're, we're behind the scenes. One, just trying to make sure that people can tell the best story possible in the most authentic way. Two, that they can do it in a production environment that feels safe, where their voice matters, that they know they're going to be respected every day, Uh, that they can show up and have the tools necessary to do the job they've been hired to do, regardless of what accommodation they may or may not need from an accessibility standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to do good art. Art is so important to the world. It, It... Sometimes I feel like it unlocks that side of our brain that we don't even know is locked until we've been until we've sat in that art, until we've experienced that art, until we've ingested that art. Right? And and we realize, you know, how necessary it is for whatever walk of life we may be in. Art is important to the human experience, it's important to the soul.
1: Thank you so much, Latasha, for for coming on to the to the Scene to Scene podcast. I This was really illuminating. Um, And I hope, you know, my listeners really get a lot out of the discussion that we've had and the knowledge that you've dropped on us. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, it was my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to sit down with you. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate the work that you do. Um, You're telling our stories, too. You're amplifying them as well.